Oh, hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you caught me dancing. You caught me in my diligentsia hat. If you guys don't follow Brian Willingham in his blog, you should. And yeah, I a little got behind on my workout today, so it's a little more casual than usual. But there's a point. And I have a hat, and you guys need to follow him. And one of us is missing today. I know. How dare she? I know. So Joe is doing some training today, so she is missing. But you are watching episode number 31, I think, right? Yeah, 31 of the Friday Froster. And today's titles are Who's Checking the Checks? And You Are Sicker Than You Think. Now, the Friday Froster is available on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, including Apple now. So send this to all of your friends that are in the audit, compliance, and fraud fields, all of your friends that you think might benefit from this podcast. But here's the other thing. It's getting close to the end of the year, and you guys need to get your CPEs in. How about you go to FridayFroster.com and get some CPEs for just watching and or listening to us? How about that? It doesn't get much better than that. At least I don't think it does. I mean, you know, you guys might think a little bit different, but I don't think it gets any better than that. All right, guys. So today, there are a couple things that we want to talk about. As I stall while I fix, uh, I want to the show them my little fraud treasure. Can I oh, show yeah. my fraud treasure? Okay, you guys, look at this relief from workplace drama. I found this in a bookstore this week. Placebos, mints you can believe in. Relief from workplace drama. Don't you think those are fun? Who needs some relief from workplace drama? I don't. Aye, aye. No, no, no. We work for ourselves, so we do, we create our own drama. <laughs> so right. So true. You know, it's always fun when you can actually say no uh, to assignments when you work for yourself. No, thank you. No, thank you. You're not paying enough or I just I just don't like you. <laughs> okay let me stop let me stop let me joe stop. is like the she's like the one who settles us down that she is off the rails today i can tell you off the rails uh-oh apparently our closed captioning is having some fun because hal said the captioning made friday froster be friday <laughs> froster oh hey hal that makes me think about donuts. All right. So look, you guys, as I said earlier, it's getting close to the end of the year and you need those CPEs. I think you should all enroll in the Innovative Auditor Challenge. What is that you're asking? I'm glad you're thinking that. It is five hours of CPE, one hour each day starting next week, a different topic and a different presenter every day for one hour around lunchtime. But guess what? It gets even better. The cost is only $25. Why are we doing this at such a cheap rate? Because we like you guys. That's all. You get to see me, Kelly, Joe, Michelle, Trent. Is that five? Me, Kelly, Joe, Michelle, Trent. Yeah, you know accountants can't add, right? So, <laughs> What's two plus two, Robert? Uh, it depends on what you want it to be. That's the typical answer from a CPA. It's either four or 22. Take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So the innovative auditor challenge. And you know what? Because I like you guys so much, what I'm going to do is uh, drop a link to the challenge in the chat so that everyone can go click on it and then go register. Because again, it starts on Monday and it is one little bitty hour each day. And you get to see me, Kelly, Joe, Trent, and Michelle, people that you know and love anyway. So I'll just drop that in the chat for everyone. Oh, goodness. Now it says fail to post comment. Never mind. I'll drop it in later for you guys. I'm having one of those days, if you can't tell. I don't have one of those days that often, but today I'm having one of those days. I had a week of oh, those boy. days. Oof. Okay. Therefore, I'm sorry. The half. <laughs> <laughs> so, Friday Froster, episode number 31. Who's checking the checks? All right, you guys, hold on tight for this one because. You know what? I, I shouldn't even say that. I say that every week. Every week, I'm just stunned and shocked at uh, some of the things that we talk about. But this one. So there were flag checks that raised fraud concerns for North Carolina housing program. You see, it was a state program meant to help people pay their rent. And apparently they'd been writing fraudulent checks totaling hundreds of thousands of dollars. The North Carolina Office of Recovery and Resiliency, also known as NCOR, it is an office inside the North Carolina Department of Public Safety. It's a state agency that administers what's called the HOPE program, which uses federal pandemic aid money to help people pay their past due rent. Now, under the program, tenants apply for help uh, and, and then, you know, it pays their past due rent. The application process is supposed to be really, really stringent. But apparently in a pro in a rush to process applications as quickly as possible, the state agency has acknowledged cutting checks to people who should never have been able to get them. Hmm. Now, what That's makes this. Friction. <laughs> right. <I know. laughs> what makes this story even more interesting, though, is the state agency is not the one who caught it. The actual financial institutions caught it and began calling the treasurer's office at the state saying, hey, you know, these checks may be fraudulent. Then the treasurer communicated back to the bank saying, well, unless, you know, someone puts a stop payment on them, they probably will go through. And finally, they got to the NCOR office and began having conversations with NCOR. But here's what I'm going to do, because I think the people there can explain it a whole lot better than I can. So I'm going to show you guys a news clip of um, the story and just pay attention to what you're hearing. It's mind boggling and mind blowing. So um, here we go. And let's make sure I have the sound right, you guys. So take a listen to this clip. I'm looking at checks in the six or seven figures, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars that were cut to people who shouldn't have gotten them. It is literally the million dollar question WBTV investigates is asking tonight. We follow money that's supposed to be helping people pay their rent. Instead, it ended up going to fraudsters. Our chief investigative reporter, Nick Oxner, is here to explain what he uncovered. Nick. Maureen, Alex, North Carolina's HOPE program is supposed to use federal pandemic recovery money to help people pay their rent. 
to qualify, renters and their landlords have to fill out a mountain of paperwork and navigate red tape that we've reported in the past took months for people to get the help they need. But now we've uncovered state government documents showing hundreds of thousands of dollars in hope checks being cut to people who shouldn't be getting them. In early August, staff at the North Carolina Treasurer's Office started getting calls from banks, check cashing shops, credit unions, all calling to make sure checks written by the Hope program were real. When this started occurring, you know, it's not just ones and twos. This happened dozens and dozens of times per day, and uh, we started getting concerned. Falwell's office produced these records in response to a public records request. Emails back and forth between his staff and staff at the North Carolina Office of Recovery and Resiliency, known as NCOR the state agency that administers the HOPE program. In one email, a staffer from the treasurer's office says he's concerned about the large volume of people calling about suspicious HOPE checks. The NCOR staffer responds by offering a checklist, saying it's the best she can do with such a large volume. It's very disturbing as we start getting more and more of these calls uh, because of the importance of this program. So we are relying on folks to accurately give us information. There will always be folks that lie. Laura Hogshead is the NCOR director. We wanted to ask her about the records we got from the treasurer's office, including a sample of more than 400 suspicious checks. Just the batch we got totaled more than a quarter million dollars of potentially fraudulent checks. But if someone is going to lie, there is not a lot that we can do to stop someone from lying until we find out that they have and then we can prosecute. Are you pulling the property record, though, to make sure the person getting the check for this property owns the property? When a red flag goes up, we do check that. We are not able to check all of the applications. We have 102,000 eligible applicants as of today, and there is no central repository for checking those things. I'm looking at checks in the six or seven figures, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars that were cut to people who shouldn't have gotten them. What is your message to the people still waiting for help from the state as these fraudulent checks are being cut? If you have hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars of allegations of fraud, then we need you to give those to us because we do not have that much, nearly that much substantiated fraud. But when questioned, Hogs had said she didn't know about communication between her own staff and the treasurer's office. All right. I like what Hal says. He's like, people lie? No way. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, uh, all right. I'm sorry. This one kind of amazed me um, because there, there were a few things that kind of got me going. So this very same news station investigated this situation back in February. So the story we're talking about now is from uh, this month. But back in February, the same news station investigated and said that um, it was taking them too long to process the claims. And so now they process the claims faster now. They, they caught up with the backlog. However, a lot of these checks were fraudulent. And if check cashing places and banks are calling you, telling you that your stuff is fraudulent because they recognized it was fraudulent, how how did you not recognize that it was fraudulent? So um, this is one of these areas where, like, again, 
let's be proactive, not reactive. So they know that this is going to happen. And this is where we need to share information. So they should have gone and done like a, I don't not a PR blitz, but they should have gone to the banks, the check cashing places in advance and said, hey, this is coming out. Like, okay, I'm Pollyanna-ish, but like, let's do it in advance. Like five minutes in advance saves so much in the back end. And it's like, let's be proactive. And, you know, friction, this is all about friction. It's like going to Amazon, you just click. Like, behavioral economics, behavioral science. Okay, they're in North Carolina. This is North Carolina, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. They've got one of the best behavioral science groups, colleges, universities in the world there. Work with them, like private sector with government with you know. Absolutely. Now, now, now check this out. Cindy Jean says these just keep getting better and better. Cindy Jean, we've got a catalog of 29 more episodes. You got some catching up to do, my friend. Join us here each week, but go back and check past episodes too. Some of them you can get CPE for for as little as eight dollars. Yeah, that was a shameless plug. But Clarence says no reviews were done and that's why it happened. And now Hal is the smartest one of us all. He said he just sent in his application and he'll check it tomorrow. But Clarence says they can't blame anyone but themselves. And Dan says another bureaucrat out of touch and does not care. So, and, and oh God, Kelly says because Hal is in Florida, right? Florida man, that's right. Uh, Hal would actually get approved simply because he is in Florida. But okay, so look, all right, there are a couple things for me within this story. Did you notice the way the investigative reporter asked the very basic, simple question? This is why I like investigative reporters because they think like auditors. Did you check the ownership records? Because these payments were going to the people who own the properties. So surely you know who owns the property because they had to file, you know, the deed and all that good stuff in your state. So you just check those records and then you check who the check is going to and make sure that that's in line. Because, I mean, in theory, the owner could live in Florida or Texas or anywhere else. But you should have a record of who owns the home, whose name is on the deed, at least, you know, like if you don't pay your taxes, they can find you. Exactly. There, there you go. Yeah, I wasn't going to go there just yet, but th- exactly. So, but, but, but here's the thing. Okay. And, and, and I say this and I'm trying to be constructive when I say it, but uh, the young lady who is over the program, uh, I looked her up on LinkedIn and her entire history has been in government. Government. She's worked for uh, either Senate or Congress. Uh, I forget. She worked for the, the federal government. Then she was, uh, I think, CFO for uh, the state of North Carolina, and now she's over this program. So when you think about that, she's chief. O- she was chief operating officer, I think, in North Carolina, and now she's over this program. When it comes to fraud, red flags, and fraud risk, I'm not sure if a lifelong politician has the ability and the skills to actually run a quote-unquote business like that. And and here's why I say this. You know, now, Kelly, you know I'm big on what people say and how they say it. If you notice in that news article, here's what she said, in that news clip, here's what she said. And I actually have the quote. She said, we are not able to check all of the applications 
We have over we have 102,000 eligible applicants as of today, and there is no central repository for checking those things. Okay, so let me go to the bank and put in an application for a mortgage and have them give me one and say, well, we were not able to check all the applicants and we just didn't check yours. So here's a mortgage. Do you think that would ever happen? So the fact that she said that it is it's kind of mind boggling because you should be checking all of the applicants and give them either an approval or a denial. Now, I saw in another uh, uh, article where she said something about uh, they have fraud, red flags that they look for, eight different things they look for. But then here she said, we're not able to check all of the applicants. So are you only looking for those eight things on select applicants? So how are you approving the applicants based on this statement? Maybe she misspoke. But at the end of the day, what really got my goat with this one is the lack of accountability. Oh, yeah. Look at the comments. Data analytics. Um, Dan's comment about a bureaucrat. And like, I don't Oh, It's just so frustrating because you know what? If they if you owe money, they'll find you. And right. it's always playing catch up. And actually, a good friend of mine from the UK just did a post today on LinkedIn about um, fraud and nonprofits. And it's like proactive, like we can't say it enough, proactive. Instead of waiting for the earthquake, waiting for the forest fire, like let's do stuff in advance. And, you know, I talked to someone just this week and they were asking me, you know, well, fraud prevention. And I'm like, I'd go broke. Like no one wants to buy it. And we've talked about this before. It's like people, when it's quiet, it's the quiet before the storm. We always know we're going to get something like something eventually will come. Use this quiet time to learn, to reach out, to get really good at data analytics to, you know, and this isn't quiet time, but yeah, the whole, um, how just posted the hope, um, housing, we all, yeah. we the North Carolina housing opportunities and prevention evictions hope program continues to rank number two in the nation for the number of households served and number six for spending of federal emergency rental assistance program funding per their website yeah thank you hal congratulations especially if a major especially if we already know that there's a lot of that that's fraudulent activity but again it is truly like dan has said zero respect for taxpayer money and like malishka said what happened to data analytics? But again, notice now someone who is not an auditor, a reporter, an investigative reporter asked a very basic question. Did you at least verify that the homeowner was the one actually getting the rent checks from the program? And okay, so, so this week, this week or last week? I don't know. This week or no, it was this week. Joe and I did the CPE movie book club Um the big short. Okay. The big short. And I don't know if you remember in the movie, they, these hedge funders go down to Florida and they start knocking on doors. And this guy, this big guy comes up all tatted up and he's like, I've been paying my rent. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like the, the landlord isn't paying the mortgage. And, you know, I wouldn't want to take him on and you can tell they were scary, but 
like who ends up losing like it's just oh my god so if you haven't watched the big short watch it again or watch yeah. joe's and my cpe movie book club because it was a blast yeah, and I hate that I missed that one. I think I was uh, on the road coming record. back. You can get it through, Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I really wanted to be there. So, so if you're just joining us on the Friday Froster today, we are talking about a program in North Carolina that was designed to pay rent to land to uh, homeowners, um, pay rent on behalf of people who could not pay their rent to the homeowners. The program, uh, well, there was fraud that happened. And when they interviewed the person responsible for running the program, well, there were a few things she said that struck us as odd, but one of them was they could not check all of the applications. So that just strikes us as odd. And then she also said that there was no, well, she said people lie. Well, no, duh, which is why you should check all of the applications. Then she said also that, um, you know, once they found out people were doing wrong, then they could prosecute them. I do understand that. But how about let's try to prevent the frauds from happening? And the way the frauds got detected was that some of the banks and check cashing places kept calling the treasurer's office because they actually thought that the checks were fraudulent. There was one individual in Texas who got a slew of checks. Uh, the bank called. They eventually stopped those checks, but then he came in about a week or so later with additional checks. So one individual had several checks. He lived in Texas. Uh, when asked if she had even cross-checked the people who were getting checks to the actual homeowners, that's when she said they can't check every application. Uh, we see this a lot in government. I mean, this show, 30 episodes in, in government environments, it's it's. There's a lack of control. Now, Kelly, you know what? I don't know if you remember. It was something like episode 11 or something like that, where we were talking about Denver. Uh, we were talking about Colorado, where it was the PPP loans, the COVID loans, where um, there was a backlog. People were upset. They went to the news station. The news station reported it. And the governor said, we are no longer going to check and verify. We're just going to give people the money. Then they found out that, well, no, duh, when you just give people money without verifying, there was a bunch of fraud. Then they said that they weren't going to go after the people because it would cost them more to go after the people. But we also learned that the fraud was in the billions at this point. Yeah, so. I think it was unemployment, actually. Oh, you know what? You're right. It was unemployment. Yeah, I think it was You're unemployment. Right. And you know, yep. I'm not a I'm not a dark web person, but there's just, you know, there is so much in the dark web about, hey, there's this scam scheme, whatever you want to call it. And then they just you know, the internet is an amazing thing, and it's especially amazing for criminals because they share things so incredibly quickly. Yeah. You know, I almost feel like we should tape record ourselves saying trust is not a control and just play it because every week it's the same thing, especially in nonprofits and governmental agencies. Well, and we also have this right now that, um, you know, go to the criminology theory and everything is um, people are like, I'm just getting a piece of my pie. Like it's the government. I'm just getting a piece of my pie. Everyone's doing it. They're never going to catch me. And yeah, I, it's 
that like it's the culture it and is. unfortunately we're in a not a great time COVID culture i have hashtag COVID fraudster but i should have hashtag COVID culture yeah and cindy jean says trust is not a control so good cindy jean that's a kelly original i just stole it from kelly <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I stole it from sort of Ronald Reagan, but not really. Yeah, but not really. I mean, he, he was close, but, you know, and Dan says just another example of lack of integrity and accountability in society will have worked forever. Yeah, we will. It's and I think, too, what's really sad about it from my point of view is when you see these things, no one is calling her on it and either having her a correct the statement because maybe she misspoke because i mean when you're on live tv you could say things that could be taken out of context or have her back up what she's saying that they're actually not reviewing every application that comes in because i find that hard to believe that people are applying for aid and you're not reviewing every single application but that is exactly what she said you guys heard it i heard it but we allow people to walk around with no accountability for things just because well, the program is so great. They, they put out a statement talking about how the program would continue to do the best that they can do to serve the public. I kind of hate that virtue signaling because now we know that there's fraud. So you want to come out and say, well, we are doing our best to serve the public. Yes, we get that. And you should. But also serving the public mean putting controls in place to try and prevent and or detect fraud timely. Well, and, you know, I'm going to say that there's some ringleaders in this that are doing the fraud. It's kind of like the, what was it? The NFL and the NBA players. I'm sure there's a couple of ringleaders. Let's not go after the little fish. Let's go after the ringleaders. The ones who are like, you know, because you know, there are people out recruiting to do this. So I want the ringleaders. I don't want low hanging fruit, Hal. Hal, low hanging fruit. What do you think about that? And you know what? The ring leader is probably a Florida man. <laughs> oh my God. I bet you so. I bet you so. Oh my goodness. I got I'm you with that one. I was so serious. Saying, uh... I bet you so. <laughs> I'm just I'm just betting it's a Florida man. Hal says. <laughs> Hal's going to come up with a Florida man. I know he is. Hal says people feel entitled to defraud an entitlement program. Yikes. Now, that is, isn't that crazy? But isn't that the way it works, though? People have been defrauding, you know, welfare, Medicare, Medicaid, all of those things for uh, years. Now, Hal says, are you implying that he's low-hanging fruit? <laughs> Oh, man, this is going nowhere fast. Okay, okay. So, all right, you guys, Friday Froster, this is our first story for today. So what we want to talk about now is, well, the Innovative Auditor Challenge again. It's coming up on the end of the year, and you guys have the opportunity to get five CPEs for only $25. You cannot beat that deal. I'll drop the link in the chat uh, after the program ends so that you guys can go to it. But what it is is one hour of CPE each day next week, a different presenter, a different topic. It is going to be me, Kelly, Joe, uh, um, 
Oh, goodness. Michelle Fowler and uh, Trent Russell. So the Innovative Auditor Challenge. We have some fun topics and we typically have a fun time. Heather says, hello, everyone. I'm late to the game. Better late than never, Heather. We're glad to have you here. But you caught us right in the transition to the second story. Dum, dum, dum. Oh, oops. Wait a minute. To the second story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh. This is what happens when I don't have enough sleep at night. So our second story, the title, you see it there, Sicker Than You Thought. All right. The DOJ, the Department of Justice, says that a data mining company fabricated medical diagnosis to make money. The Justice Department has accused an upstate New York health insurance plan for seniors along with a medical analytics company, which was the insurer, and an insurer and, and an affiliated insurer of cheating the government out of whew, not one million, not two million, but tens of millions of dollars. There was a civil complaint that was filed, and it is alleging that a data mining company helped uh, helped fleece the Medicare Advantage program to game federal billing regulations in a way that enables the plan to overcharge for patient treatment. Now, if you guys remember, there was a few episodes back where we broke down the Medicare uh, Advantage plan and, and what it was like. So in a nutshell, they give you a risk score. That risk score determines how sick you are. The sicker you are, the more money you can bill that program. So what they're alleging this data analytics company did was went in and made people look sicker than they really were. So the lawsuit names as defendants, the medical records review company, which is called DXID and independent health association of Buffalo, which operates two Medicare advantage plans, but also Betsy Gaffney DXID's founder and CEO is also named in the suit. DXID, well, it shut down in August, and it is owned by Independent Health through another subsidiary. So, what do we think? Well, okay, and it goes on, and it says, the DOJ complaint expands on a 2012, nine years ago, whistleblower suit, hashtag whistleblowers are hero, tips find fraud, by Teresa Raya, Ross, a former medical coding official at Group Health Cooperative in Seattle. I lived in Seattle, and that was one of our choices for healthcare. We called them group deaths. Um, Just, you know, me and my nicknames. Um, One of the nation's oldest and most prestigious health plans. And so she says, for instance, she alleged that the plan billed for, quote, major depression end quote, in a patient described by his doctor as having an amazingly sunny disposition. I can't imagine what they say about me because I don't have an amazingly sunny disposition. So I must be like, I don't know, like, oh my God, it doesn't stop. And, And if Joe were here, she would talk about incentives because you're incentivized to make people sicker than you thought. But think of all the people who are really sick and they can't get the health care. Right. Yep. That's even worse. 
Because it's all about it's all about the cash. It is all about the Benjamins for sure. Now, Cindy Jean says she truly enjoys these episodes. Thank you, Cindy Jean. And Dana Lawrence is here. She says, hi, Kelly and Robert. Happy Friday, Froster, everyone. And Hal says, is this deja vu all over? Right, Hal? Doesn't it feel that way? You know what? So now let's go back to what Kelly was just saying, where they described someone um, with major depression that in the doctor's notes, it said had an amazingly uh, sunny disposition. Um, her case, uh, Ross, the, the whistleblower, her case was actually settled in November of 2020. And they settled by paying $6.3 million. Now, we know now that because Ross was a whistleblower, she actually shared in some of that $6.3 million. So again, if you see something, say something, you're being incentivized now. Stop stop staying at these companies because you think you need a job when you see wrongdoing. If you see something, say something. The federal government has a program. There's nothing wrong with snitching when you're doing the right thing. Okay. So now, what ended up happening was, though, after, the, after her case, the, Justice, the Department of Justice took over uh, because this was DXID as well. And they're alleging that they submitted thousands of unsupported medical condition codes on behalf of independent health from 2010 until 2017. Um, they also criticized how DXID advertised their services where they said there is no upfront fee. We don't get paid until you get paid. And we work on the percentage of the actual proven recoveries. Um, so there was a 102 page suit that described DXID's chart review process as fraudulent and says that it relied on, quote unquote, trolling patient medical rec records to gen up, in many cases, new diagnoses exclusively from information derived from impermissible sources. So it also was like in the complaint, I don't think you said this, but I was typing something. So in the complaint filed mon Monday, DOJ alleged that Gaffney pitched their revenue generating tools as quote, too attractive to pass up. Oh my God. The fraud is just too attractive to pass up. We got to right. take part in it. Like, um, I don't think she's on LinkedIn, um, Betsy Gaffney, but Frank Sava is. And he's been working for them for 23 years. Wow. Yeah. Since like 1998, he's been working for them. He's their PR person. I was like, oh, wow. And I know. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I know we're Pollyanna ish and we can say stuff like this. And, you know, but. You got to get up and look at yourself in the mirror. And at the end of the day, look at yourself in the mirror. And like, I mean, maybe he's laughing at us going, Haha, but I'm driving a Tesla. Um, <laughs> right. And I don't have a trucker's hat. Um, yeah. Oh, you guys, comments. What, what, what do you think? <laughs> you know, and I'm guessing when the company started years ago, it was all manual, right? So they were just going through patient files to make sure that physicians and, and the billers and coders in the office actually coded the right things. Now, Pozo is here and she said, happy, happy everyone. Happy Friday, I guess. Joining late from NYC. So Pozo, you missed the first story. It was pretty good. But right now what we're talking about is a data analytics company that apparently did some data mining for patient records and um, well, fabricated, allegedly, fabricated diagnoses to make people seem sicker than they actually are. 
And if you remember our conversations that we had about Medicare and Medicaid, you get assigned a risk score. And based on that risk score, you get a certain amount of money. The sicker patients are, the more money you get and the higher your risk score. So allegedly, this organization was making people seem sicker than they actually were. There was uh, some civil action that took place several years ago. They settled for six point some odd million dollars because of a whistleblower. And now here's another case with the same data analytics company, but a different uh, healthcare organization. So. When, you know, this is, and we talked about this briefly, I think last week. So were they under a monitorship or like, again, if you're so naughty, then you get caught doing this. I'm sorry, you need to go. You just need to go. And I'm reading a fiction book right now from Harlan Coben. <laughs> and there's a character in his books. And the guy's like uber, uber wealthy. His name is Wynn. Um, and he's like, you know, he goes in the book and he's like, he flashes a fake FBI badge. And his thing mm-hmm. is, I'm so rich, they'll never take me out. Like they'll They'll do this. They'll do this. They'll find me. At worst case, they'll find me. And money means nothing because I've got so much of it. And it's like there needs to be real penalties. There needs to be perp walks. And it can't just be low-hanging fruit. Yep. Absolutely. You know, and I I actually worked for an organization once where we were investigating too many frauds at one point in time. And I mentioned the perp walks. And they said, we can't do that. And I was thinking, why can't you? They stole from you. Now they're getting arrested. So so for those of you who don't know what a perp walk is and the, and the purpose of it, when you have someone that you pretty much have some solid evidence that they've committed a crime and, and well, it's time for them to pay the piper and answer to the crimes that they have allegedly committed, because this is before the court trial, right? You wait until everyone is filing into work, like around 8.15-ish, and then you have that person arrested in front of everyone. What happens is if you're in a cash handling business and someone has stolen cash and you do the perp walk and you walk them out of your establishment, that is really going to deter some other people from stealing because now you've been put on high alert that the company takes this kind of stuff seriously and that you will have to pay the price for what you've done. Um, You know, I think the only disadvantage to it is what if, your evidence doesn't hold up in court and this person is not really guilty. But, you know, usually you wouldn't do that unless your evidence is just really rock solid. But yeah, yeah. The perp walk. And you do it on a Friday afternoon. So they can't get a lawyer till Monday. So they actually spend some time in a cold, hard cell. Not that I ever did that, but it has been known to happen. So do I have a, hell, yes, you have a sunny disposition. You live in Florida. I was about to say you live in a sunny location. So does that count? (laughs) Oh, my God. Heather says, is that like saying people died from COVID when they actually didn't? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, sorry. It's just one of these things like, really, do we have to do we have to steal with health care? It's a basic human right. Go steal for something else. Like steal from Amazon, but Amazon will find you and take you out. Like, like really healthcare. It's because fraudsters go where money is and money is in healthcare. Not only that, it's fairly easy. I mean, let's be honest. The government is big. The government has a lot of money. The government doesn't 
especially when it comes to state and local government, they don't necessarily invest in, I was about to say robust. I won't even say that mediocre fraud detection uh, 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 techniques. Um, again, if you look at our first case from the day, the young woman said, there's no way they can check all of the applications. They had 102,000 applications. So you had 102,000 people who applied for aid and you're saying on record to a news station that you can't check all the applications. Well, how do you know that you approve legitimate people? Again, I think it may have been a slip of the tongue and maybe she meant something else. But when no one calls people, <clears throat> when no one holds people, uh, hold people accountable for the things that they say, they can't come back and apologize and say, I made a mistake. She may have or go even further and say, well, what do you mean you can't check all of the applications? Because I really, again, me being Pollyanna, I don't think she really meant that. There's absolutely no way she meant that they don't check all the applications. That that would be just How are they going to get promoted. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I was snarky this week. Oh my god, she's probably going to get promoted. <laughs> yeah, promote up. Now, now Dan says another reason to never let the feds handle healthcare. It's you know it's it's a sticky situation because. For children and for the elderly, I mean, they already do through Medicare and Medicaid. And every week there's some fraud and every week there's our tax dollars being wasted. Um, and it's it's truly disheartening when you think about how some of the things could have been prevented. Because if you think about today's stories, both of today's stories were based on taxpayer funded programs. So the first story was in uh, uh, the HOPE program to help people who can't pay rent. A lot of fraud there. This one is, uh, is this one Medicare, Medicaid, Medicare, Medicare, Medicaid. This one is Medicaid. So, or Medicare, one of them, whatever. Still a government funded program. And each week we just keep having these stories. And each week it seems like a lack of basic controls. Uh, now this one, this one may have been a little bit more sophisticated, possibly. I don't, I don't know. Um, well, so a long time ago, the Oregon chapter of the ACFE, we had a Medicare, Medicare, Medicaid investigator come in. She gave a fantastic presentation and she's like, for every dollar they pay me, they've shown I bring in seven dollars. Yeah. And it's like so. But, oh, God, we don't want to hire government people. It's like we should make this a bounty program. And it kind of is because whistleblowers, but it's really not a bounty program because it takes so freaking long to do it. But if government can look and say, this is a profit center. When I worked at some, you know, I'm going to say big corporation, I brought in 10 times my salary from recovering fraud money, 10 times my salary in the brief period I was there. So like, you know, when they go and they look, oh, well, we can't afford another FTE. That's that's malarkey. Yep. Now, check this out. Hal says from Blue Cross Blue Shield, the National Health Care Anti-Fraud Association estimates conservatively that health care fraud cost the nation about 68 billion with a B, friends, billion dollars annually. About 3% of the nation's $2.26 trillion in healthcare spending. Other estimates range as high as 10% of the annual healthcare expenditure. 
or 230 billion. So a part of the problem with this, though, is when people look at it and the way you can frame things, oh, it's only 3% of our total spending. But at $68 billion, what do we have here? 50 states? You could give every state about a billion dollars. I bet roadways or uh, funding for other programs for underprivileged kids or for whatever could benefit from a billion with a B dollars. Well, and you know, most doctors, I'm going to say most, not all, because some of them get jaded. They don't become doctors to make money. Like, sure, they know they're going to make a decent living, but they're like, you know, um, and oh my God, Joe should be here. I'm still listening to Empire Pain about the Sackler brothers. And, you know, it's just, it's the culture. It's the, oh, well, this guy or gal, um, you know, they're driving a Tesla and they've got, you know, five houses in Florida. And like, why am I not doing that? And then they're like, well, you know, there's this company, DXID, and they could, you know, you <laughs> tune go. you up real quick. Like, yeah. And, and I can't remember her name. I think it was Christina at the very beginning. I can't. She said she went to her dentist and they had upcharged. If I went to my dentist and my dentist had upcharged, I'd turn the rap sink in. There's no excuse for that. And he or she had said, well, that's the only way I get paid. You're like, oh my God. If, yeah, I don't know. If my dentist had upcharged, not only not getting paid, I'm going to quote tattletale. Because if yeah. you do it to me, how many other people are they doing it to? And who pays for dental insurance? We do because the feds don't pay for it. it right. Your teeth aren't considered part of your body, which is a whole other thing. So, Yeah, so that was my friend Kimberly. And uh, she, she dropped a comment in right at the beginning of the show or maybe even before the show began. And she said, I received an EOB, an explanation of benefits, regarding a dental visit when I was in my 20s. I took it in to my next appointment and showed it to the dentist. I asked him why it listed periodontal disease and a couple of other things that I don't remember now. I did not have those things then and I still don't. All I needed and all he'd done was fix a couple of cavities. His answer, so I get paid and don't have to bill you. It's a slippery slope, man. Slippery, slippery slope. Yeah. Well, and, and to your point, most most doctors don't get into it to necessarily make a ton of money. They know that they're going to make a decent living and they're not trying to defraud anybody, which is why most of them outsource their actual billing and coding function because they know it's not a part of their core competency. But then when you have these companies like this billing and coding company doing data mining, saying that now we can actually go in and find things to upcharge. I'm actually not sure how that works because when you think about healthcare billing and coding, the doctor comes in and the doctor provides a diagnosis. Now there are these codes that you have to use. There's a, there's a coding structure. It's called the ICD 10. It comes out every October where they update it and, you know, you have new codes that you have to use. And some codes do go with specific diagnoses. And then there are other things that you can bill for if you have a specific um, 
uh, diagnoses. However, unless you read the doctor's actual notes, you don't know what all the doctor did. So just because it is allowable doesn't mean the doctor actually did it. So that's why for me, just in the beginning, this whole data analytics to charge more seemed off to me because how would you do that without actually going into the doctor's notes to see if he or she actually did what that code represents? So it, anyway, ugh. well, and, you know, again, they think of it as a victimless crime that the dentist to, you know, the first comment is like, well, their rationalization is I'm getting paid and you're getting better service and it's not costing anyone anything. And though it comes back to, if it sounds too good to be true, well, and you're a doctor or a dentist or a professional, if it sounds to be good, too good to be true, you gotta stop, use your system too. You know, we've talked about this before, system one and system two, system two is slow, sleep on it. Like ask your spouse, ask your partner, like, you know, I just, people, it's that quick, easy thinking like, oh, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna cost anyone anything. Yeah, it does. You know, here's the thing, though. People, we know when we're doing something wrong. It's embedded within us. If you think about children, even children who are new to lying, they know when to lie and then they know to be embarrassed when they lie. Why? Because it's something that's intrinsic within us. Our value system is within all of us. So you know when you are being even just a little bit deceptive. I think that we've just become so numb to it that we're okay with justifying our deception. You see it in a lot of aspects of life. And also this goes to distance. And this is Ariely's work and other behavioral economist works is the distance. So the doctor outsources the, um, you know, the billing or the coding, you get a company that doesn't own the factory, but that's where their stuff is manufactured. So they there's this plausible deniability. Well, I, I didn't do it. Like it was my billing company or, you know, I pay the company really well. And I didn't know that they were paying sweatshop. It's that distance when you and I are face to face, it is harder to do it. So again, it's like Joe Wells says, fraud is not an accounting problem. It's a social phenomenon. So yeah, it it's, yeah. and we can do all sorts of things in our head to rationalize things. Yeah. Yeah. And well, you know, and you, you bring up a really good point, especially with the distance, because especially in healthcare, that does make a, a lot of sense. Um, you know, nobody's getting hurt. In the meantime, our taxes will be increased and we'll be wondering why. Stuff like Social Security will want will run dry and we wonder why. Um, yeah, th this one. And, you know, a lot of times what we try to do here is talk about what could have prevented stuff like this. I don't know what could have prevented this unless there was a data analysis done on the side of Medicare, Medicaid, because I don't know when they submitted these claims. If, if they um, I I'm assuming that the doctor's offices 
sent the data analytics company the claims prior to sub submitting them to the insurance company. And then that's when they came back and said, okay, here's some additional codes you need to add on now submit it to the insurance company. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know how uh, this one could have been prevented. Uh, yeah, you know, a thought though, data analysis for each of your doctor's offices, you would have seen an uptick in revenue. That's for certain. That, that's yeah. one thing. But yeah. I, I, I don't like to be negative and snarky and everything, but it's like, we got to stop chasing the almighty dollar. And, and I read something else this week and it's like, you know, everyone's just like the dollar is an easy measure of quote success. And it's like, mm. You know, I mean, it, that's the term white collar crime didn't even come out until 1939 because we didn't used to think, quote, rich people could be naughty. Like, oh, my God, make me vomit. Like, of course, rich people can be naughty. Like, yeah. So. Anybody can be naughty. But look, Pozo says outsource the work, but not ethics, morals and doing the right thing. Right. Yeah. Imagine that. Oh, my God. So simple. yet so hard. Well, you know, I'm still intrigued by the investigative reporter who asked the right questions. And then I will say he didn't just he didn't follow up and push the issue. I mean, because there was a clear lack of accountability in that first story. But, yeah, every week it seems to be worse. I don't know. I, maybe I'm getting jaded. <laughs> oh, my God. Imagine that. Like doing fraud work and being jaded. But you know what? Are we jaded? at Like. Are we jaded at the people or are we jaded at the system? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Um, does the maybe system a little bit of people? both. Yeah. Does the system break the people? Yeah. Do the people Ooh. break the system? Oh, my God. These are very deep questions. Oh, yeah. Now I'm, <laughs> I'm going to need to go sit on somebody's couch after today's show. <laughs> I had therapy yesterday. <laughs> that's, that's why I'm so snarky. <laughs> right. That, that's a, that's that actually is a really good question, because, I mean, people created the system and people run the system. So um, that's like then, the whole artificial intelligence. And it's like artificial intelligence is based on people making it in their biases. Yeah. So like, you know, I oh, yeah, Dan, wait. Oh, Dan just took a cryptocurrency course. So he's all over crypto. Oh, boy. Yeah. Now, Heather says it's a little bit of both. Yeah, I think that's what I'm thinking, too. Um, and, and then that also begs the question, though, how can we help? And I think that goes back to what I said earlier. Federal government has a whistleblower program. If you blow the whistle, you get to share in some of the, the, the money. So if you see something, say something, doggone it. Because, you know, yeah, I'll just leave that at that. If you see something, say something. So, yeah, um, you guys know I love Twitter and there's all this stuff with Facebook and Google and whistleblowing and everything like that. And um, who can afford? There's a woman who I think she was discriminated against due to um, pregnancy issues. Well, maybe at Google. And she's like, it cost her $100,000 in attorney's fees. Who can do that? David taking on Goliath. Like how many? So, you know. I believe in whistleblowers. Whistleblowers are heroes who can mentally, financially, emotionally afford to do it.
take six years of your life. Like it's, it's rough. It is really, really rough. Um, oh my gosh. I heard a great podcast this week, by the way, because you guys know I love podcasts. Um, Adam Grant had on Allison Felix. You know, she just won Olympics. The um, I think she won a bronze and a gold. And uh, you guys should listen to it. It's really, really good. Um, all right, all right. What did she say? What did she say? Well, one of the things is she was negotiating with Nike. It's just, you know, and they wanted to drop her E or her whatever, 70%. This is before they knew she was pregnant, just because she was old. And um, she, you know, she walked away. She, it's a really good interview with Allison Felix. Um, just, and, and Adam Grant is, oh, bye, Dan. Um, Adam Grant is working with her in her new shoe company, in a new athletic. I'm, it's called Sage. I'm going to buy some of her shoes because she walked away. You have yeah. to be able to, and, and because she walked away, they quote fixed it. I know they didn't, but they, you know, PR fixed it. Um, yeah. So I'm going to support someone who walks away. Let's support well, someone who walks away. And, and I think that's the thing. You have to be brave enough. I still go back to Cynthia Cooper with WorldCom. Um, you know, she walked away and you've never seen, well, she first exposed the company and you've never seen her with another director of audit or VP of audit position again. She's had to make money on the speaking circuit. Now, to me, that says a lot about the morals, ethics and values in our culture, because quite frankly, someone who's courageous enough to do what her team did. I would want to hire her quickly because I know you have high uh, uh, morals, ethics, values and integrity. But there okay, you go. Hal says, Hal says she walked away. She's got shoes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 very interesting to see how people who stand up to the wrong, how they are treated and how whistleblowers are treated. Because, yeah, in the case we had earlier, it took about five to six years to settle the case. The case was settled for about six point two million dollars. She probably got some of that. But in the meantime, how did she pay her rent and or mortgage? Um, you know, she who knows what happened. And even now. I tried to look her up. Uh, I, I couldn't see where oh, she was. Oh, I working. put her in the chat. Um, ah. She is actually on on extended sabbatical. There you go. And her last position, she left in January of 2020. She was able to get jobs. Um, did she have? She had a little bit of a break, but she was with Group Health, aka Group Death, for 14 years. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, but she's on extended. I'm I'm reaching out to her. Well, and the other thing too for us as uh, risk audit compliance and fraud professionals, we should be looking at things like this before we accept jobs at companies. I mean, there, there are certain companies that we should just start to turn down because they're red flags where you know their morals and ethics aren't up to your standards, and you are going to have a hard time working for them if you accept the jobs. Yeah. So. But I'm not sure if we've gotten to that point yet. Nope. Nope. We miss Joe. She's having an awesome time. Yeah, Garnell is here. Hey, Garnell. Oh, I got yeah. flying the here. The shoe brand is oh. called. Oh, okay. 
I mispronounced it. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I'm yeah, excited. It's a really good episode. <laughs> she did not. She was in LA. <laughs> she still probably could have paid it through the North Carolina Hope program, though. I mean, remember, it's the number two in the nation. See, here's what's interesting about that, though. No one thinks that it's weird that a North Carolina program is number two in the nation for government funding for helping people pay their rent. Yet North Carolina is not even in the top 10, I think, for, for uh, uh, population for largest states. No one thinks that that's odd. Like, I'm just, I'm just saying some of this stuff is not rocket surgery. And yes, I know I said rocket surgery. <laughs> okay. And I'm just going, oh my gosh, look at this. Okay. So Garnell, you put this in Seish and like, um, okay. I want, I want the, um, Ooh, look at these nice looking shoes. Yeah. I'm excited for this. Presenting lifestyle sneakers designed for and by women. I'm on it. Ooh, those are really pretty. I'm getting a pair of those. Thank you, Carnell. All right. I'm trying to see if I can. Uh... Oh, those are actually pretty nice. Let's see. Yeah. Oh, and you know what? They're sold out. I'm loving this. I'm well, they're really nice looking. Look at that. Look at Arthur's nice looking shoes. Yeah, those are nice looking shoes. Wait a minute. Where are the I'm shoes? Oh, here we are. Ooh, I like those ones too. Yeah, and they're sold out. I just, you know, I saw her run this summer. She's stronger than she's ever been. You know what's so funny? It's like she said she couldn't even run. Like the most Allison Felix has ever run, four miles. At one time, the most she has ever run is four miles. Hal says, do we have a male DeMarcos? Yeah. In the mail. Yeah. I love this. Inspire, connect, honor, care. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and, and that's the whole thing. I think we, we have to start supporting people who do the right thing instead of ostracizing. That is what they that is what we do as a society right now, because when people do the unpopular thing, no one wants to be the unpopular kid in class. And so we ostracize those people who actually stand up to wrong. And then when that wrong happens to us, we're mad because no one will help us. That doesn't make sense. That makes absolutely no sense. So, guys, it's Friday time. Froster. Yeah. Friday Froster. Episode 31. Just me and Kelly. Joe will be back next week. Yeah. Joe will be back next week to make it a more lively show because I think Kelly and I are sometimes the downers. We just... Joe is young and positive. I'm old and snarky. Well, what am I? <laughs> You're in between. Stop the liver. Uh, Charlene says so true. Um, I don't know if that was the 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 part about. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Charlene was saying so true about how we ostracize people who do the right thing, but it happens all the time. So you guys, thanks for joining us this week. It's been another great episode. Now you need the those hat. Oh, the hat, and you need. The, well, what's the name of that podcast again? Uh, it's not a podcast. It's Diligencia Group. Oh, that's right. yeah. And it's, right. um, I'll put it in the, uh, whatchamacallit again, the chat. And so if you need those CPEs by the end of the year, you guys need to check out the Innovative Auditor Challenge next week. You need to check out 
the CPEs that are available for watching, well, just this podcast for about eight bucks. You need to check out Kelly's podcast, Great Women in Fraud, and you need to check out Joe's Book Club. Uh, I forgot what's coming next in Joe's Book Club, but she'll tell us next week. So thanks for joining us, you guys. We'll see you next week with Joe.